Welcome to our Global Scot podcast series, Past, Present and Future Proofing. In this series, we will hear Global Scots draw on personal learnings from their full and varied careers and learn firsthand how their industry has changed over the years. Global Scots celebrates its 20th anniversary in 2021. Like all of those who are invited to join the network, those we will hear from in this series are recognised experts in their field. So please sit back and enjoy this episode. My name is Dave Tudor. I'm the Medicines Manufacturing Managing Director. This is a new innovation centre for advanced technology and I work for the CPI organisation. I've only been there two years. Prior to that, I worked for GSK and I worked in a succession of different roles in and around manufacturing and supply. Over and above my industrial role, I'm also the co-chair of the Life Sciences Scotland Industry Leadership Group, and I am a global Scot. And in my international experience, I've worked in countries like Ireland, uh, the US, Belgium, Singapore, Australia, and many other European countries. So I've got quite a wide range of experiences. One of the jobs I did in GSK, I was the global head of manufacturing strategy, so that gave me a great opportunity to explore internationally. At school, I really loved mathematics and chemistry. Those were my two favourite subjects. I was actually reasonably good at both of them. So it was very natural for me to go to university to study chemistry. And I studied at Glasgow University, so I'm a product of the Scottish education system. And I did my first degree there in applied chemistry. And then I stayed on and did a PhD and specialised in synthetic organic chemistry as, as the topic. And it was a very natural thing for me to think about uh, moving into the pharmaceutical industry where, you know, my skills as an organic chemist are, are very relevant for advanced API or active pharmaceutical ingredient science. So I really wanted to go in that direction. I thought the farm industry would challenge me scientifically. You know, working for a global pharma company allowed me to drive ambition and travel that I wanted to do. And also, I thought it was just a great mission. Providing medicines for people to get healthier and better and recover felt like a really good career direction to go in. I joined the industry in the early 90s, 1992. In that very year, I think SmithKline Beach and the company I joined introduced emails for the very first time. So if I look at the, gosh, what is 30 years, three decades in the industry, I've seen a lot of uh, transformation. I've seen the industry become much more efficient, uh, driving waste out of the processes. Uh, I've seen it become much more digitally and technically in tune. So how we make drugs today is uh, much more controlled and reproducible than it was, say, 30 years ago. When I joined the industry, the companies very much did their whole end-to-end activity inside the company, but now there's much more outsourcing and much more collaboration between pharma companies that has made a real difference. And I think both the evolution of the science and the capabilities, but also has driven pace and momentum into the sector. 
I got a real buzz the first time a project or a product I worked on with GlaxoSmith can get launched in the market and patients were actually taking a medicine that I'd had a significant involvement. So that was a real professional high point, if I'm being honest. As I grew in the organisation at GSK, I really wanted to look at running global organisations and running factories. So I was really fortunate in getting the chance to run the global API network for GSK. The API is the chemical, it's the active ingredient, the active pharmaceutical ingredient that goes into the medicine. Uh, and these are the, really the chemical factories. And of course, with my background in chemistry, that was a great privilege and honour uh, to be able to do that. At that time, GSK had something like 12 factories uh, globally and, and about 250 suppliers that we used. So it was a massive organisation. I think we provided something like over a thousand different chemicals for all the different GSK products. So it was a complex and challenging time, but one that I thoroughly enjoyed. I was very fortunate to work with some fantastic people who taught and educated me and mentored me, but also gave me the chance to pass those skills on. So I certainly got a lot of energy and a lot of positivity from developing staff and imparting my knowledge and my skills to the organisation. That was a real professional highlight for me. In the world of the Medicines Manufacturing and Innovation Centre, we are focused in on two major missions. One is we want to take the great technology ideas that have been developed today and we want to help to translate them into the industry. And the way we want to do that is to create collaborations, we call them Grand Challenge Consortia. We're not interested in today's problem, but we're interested in what the industry wants in five years' time and working together with the right academics, SMEs, technology companies, whoever we need to work with to solve the problem. But once we solve the problem, what we don't want to do is just to kind of throw over the fence to the farm industry. We're building a centre in Glasgow to all extents and purposes that's a manufacturing plant with a full GMP licence. We're actually going to install the technology and demonstrating it working and getting regulatory approval for it. What that means then is that the pharmaceutical industry can just cookie cut, excuse the terminology, they can just replicate and lift the technology and put it in very easily. So develop the technology through that valley of death on late TRL working in partnership and in demonstrating it. And that's what MMIC is all about. And so far, we're very happy with progress. We've got three grand challenges up and running. We've raised over £95 million now in terms of uh, investment. And uh, we're looking forward to the new facility being fully operational in January next year. Life Sciences Scotland has been a fantastic opportunity that I've really enjoyed and I think it's important for me to point out uh, is that Life Sciences Scotland has got six subsectors to it. So it's got medical devices, the pharmaceutical aspects, diagnostics and of course it's got aquaculture, agrochem and animal healthcare. So it is quite a diverse and quite a wide ranging collection of sectors. The real positive thing is that each of those individual sectors are all growing and they're growing around about 10% per annum. So the sector here in Scotland is on the march, it's on the momentum uh, and certainly over a six or seven year period will double its size from four billion to, to almost over, well, be over eight billion pounds in terms of turnover and certainly increasing its GVA. So we're in a very strong position. 
in terms of opportunities uh, rather than risks, I would say digital is a big opportunity. And when I talk about digital, the aspect of the data that comes from the human being and using that electronic data to help to fund and feed clinical supplies and the advancement of drugs coming through, I think that's a big opportunity for the country. And the size of Scotland gives us that chance to do that. The second area I think is an opportunity is in around the whole skills. So Scotland has got an absolutely fantastic skills ecosystem. But the reality is to double this sector, we need to find another 30 to 40,000 skilled staff. So it's important that we drive the skills investment plan we have in Scotland and keep delivering on that because that is a really important aspect. And then the last thing I would say is the innovation, the ecosystem. So we've got this fantastic opportunity with the size of Scotland where the government, the academics, the industry and the supply chain can work in this triple helix way really partnering. We have to think of Scotland as one life sciences sector. That's what we are. We're we're almost like a scientific hub. And where we work together, we can be very powerful. It's important to understand that the scientific research and development that Scotland does is world class. We we are punching way above our weight on the, the investment that we're attracting in this area. Where are Gap is at the moment, though, is when we're not turning that into enough manufacturing outcomes. And so that's going to be a big focus in this, the forward strategy. We have got an opportunity to turn some of the great research and development and services that we've got in Scotland into more long-term, what I call sticky manufacturing and supply jobs. And that is definitely a great opportunity. My time has been the chair of the ILG. I've heard two things about is the fiscal environment right for that manufacturing growth and also is the inward investment right for it. And I think we're making great strides in them because if you look at the, the sweep of fiscal products that are coming through, whether it be R&D tax credits, the patent box cooperation tax opportunity, and in fact there's now a capital grants allocation proposal with a spending review coming up. Those three things together allow Scotland to be as competitive as any other country on taxation. That's a really important point. And the last thing to say is we're seeing much more investment, whether it be angel investment or VCs, being interested in Scotland and driving the Scottish companies forward. So I wouldn't declare for sure victory in this area, but the tide is turning. And if we just keep that focus and keep working together in this triple helix, I think we can really solve this manufacturing problem. I was co-chairing the GSK and Scottish Enterprise Partnership meeting. So GSK has got a large presence in Scotland and does a lot of business in Scotland. And I was very fortunate to have a very good account management strategy. And we were working in many large investments and projects in Scotland at that time. Uh, I remember being asked the question, Dave, would you like to become a global Scot? And I jumped at the opportunity, like most people would. I'm a very proud Scotsman. I'm sure all the global Scots are the same. So becoming a global Scot was a great privilege and a great achievement, I think, in in my professional career. Some of the experiences of being a a global Scot, the the kind of highlights for me is that one, one of the things I wanted to do when I took on the ILG role six years ago is that I felt the connectivity in Scotland between the life sciences sector was quite poor. There was lots of competition taking place, uh, a lack of awareness about capabilities. 
And so I, I wanted to really solve the connectivity problem. And the Global Scots gave me a great opportunity to do that. So we set out with a clear stakeholder engagement communication strategy, which included briefing the Global Scots on a regular basis about what Scotland's strategy was. And at that particular point, we had redefined the strategy for Scotland in 2017. So we were able to kind of launch that new strategy and, and fully engage with the Global Scots. I think as well, we launched the conference. We now have a Life Sciences Scotland conference with, you know, I think last year we had about 500 people at the virtual conference. It's growing in terms of its size and stature. And a number of the Global Scots connected with that. And we have our annual Life Sciences Awards dinners. And we have over 700, 800 people at that dinner. It's one of the largest, if not the largest, Life Sciences dinner in the UK. So again, we got a really good presence there. I regularly get rolled out to speak to companies who are thinking of inward investment or companies that just are looking for some advice that are based in Scotland as they're looking at export strategies. So uh, I really do enjoy uh, the company engagement. It's nice just to get a bit of a break from the day job and go and chat to somebody and understand their opportunities and challenges and, and just give some thoughts and advice and connect people. There's been two real big topics in terms of the support that we've had to give. One would be that a company may be trying to engage with a kind of new region, new country, uh, in terms of trying to get the export strategy and plans cleared. And that's a good opportunity for me to help with that, because that's something I've got a lot of experience in with GSK. So that's been useful. And then another one is about connecting with uh, NHS. Uh, there is no doubt that in Scotland we recognise now that the NHS has got a primary mission of serving patients, but also has got a large role to play in the economy and where we can try and extract innovation out of the NHS and turn it into economic value and at the same time get very prompt feedback for companies on their innovation, whether it's a device or whether it's a pharmaceutical issue is really important. And the NHS system now is, is so much better connected into companies. And that's an area that I spend a lot of time just connecting because it's such a large organisation. Some companies don't know where to get started. And I can certainly help and point them in direction very quickly. As Global Scots, we have to step up and help SDI and get that message out there. I think that's a really important point about you know, helping with Scotland's brand and in my particular context, it's the life sciences brand. So I think relevance and the branding, I think, are very important. The importance of the Global Scot Network is its connectivity. And that is the whole beauty of it. These Global Scots are all over the world and they've got networks and ecosystems that they can engage with. So I think it gives the Scottish government a brilliant opportunity to connect globally. That's what it does. But just as important as the Global Scots connecting in their environment, it also gives a channel for communication from the government to the industry. And for me, that is the single biggest thing that the Global Scots can do. I mean, I do like the fact as well that we do get consulted. So when policies are coming out, there is a lot of consultation that takes place. And I think that's a signal of a very mature government approach to policy development. So those are the things that really stick out for me. The last 18 months with the COVID crisis, certainly the, the sector that I work in, the pharmaceutical sector, it's allowed a lot of advancement. There's many sectors that have been impacted adversely by COVID, but in the pharmaceutical sector, it's been impacted positively. And I think the positivity there has been in around the advancement of some new therapeutic science areas, like the adenovirus technology with AstraZeneca, 
or the RNA technology that you've seen Pfizer and Moderna. And these advanced therapies, these advanced solutions have really been given a turbo boost. They've really been given a five, even perhaps a 10 year boost in the pace of the science. And of course, the COVID crisis has meant that the collaboration between the industry, between the industry and academics, and between the industry and academics and the healthcare organisations like the NHS has been much better and faster and much more expansive. And that's meant that the science has pushed forward. So I would say that's been a big, big opportunity. I think as well as the science, I think the supply risk has become obvious. So things like testing kits in the industry, diagnostic tools, the actual supply of the vaccines products themselves. We know that there are some medicines that have had a shortage in the situation that we've been in. So I think that's meant that people are really looking at supply security and asking themselves the question, what is it? The UK needs to make sure it's onshored and, and we've got clear access and supply to. If you think about it today, right now, I could go into Amazon and order any type of television I want and it'll probably arrive here within a day or two. To get a medicine just now, you have to book an appointment with your GP. You then have to get a prescription. You have to go to your pharmacy and you have to get the medicine. And it's a very laborious process. And if you look at the supply chain from the drug companies and the amount of stock that they're holding to ensure supply, then the supply chain has to be more efficient. So I do think the technology will get direct to patient supply. I can see in 20 years time where medicines are coming through the post and the whole operating model for how you get that medicine will change. If you look at the ageing society, at this moment in time, we're asking 85 plus year olds to work with maybe four or five different medicines types. The blister packs are all different. The colour of the tablets are all different. They're all different sizes. How many tablets they've got to take every day is different. It's no surprise there's lots of administration errors on that medicine. So I think personalising the medicine such that this is the pack of medicine you take today and this is the time and the order you take it and making it easier for people will become a new way forward. In 20 years' time, what will the life sciences industries look like? I think you have to break it down a little bit. So I think it's obvious that there will be more types of advanced devices, diagnostics in particular, and medicines. You know, some of these real cell and gene therapy technologies will be commonplace. And I think there'll be much more advanced treatments as a result of that. So I think that will be a big change. So I think the offering that we bring to patients will be much more, um, what's the right word, advanced, comprehensive in terms of different medicines and modalities, for sure. The other thing that will happen is technology. So technology will have a big part to play. I mean, it's a little bit embarrassing for the sector today is that we're still kind of making tablets today the same way we did 100 years ago, we still bash, bash metal on metal. So I think we've got to take a step forward in the technology. Other sectors have done this. The car industry, the aerospace industry, FMCG have evolved. I think the reality of it is, is that the cost of medicines, the cost of devices are certainly being highlighted just now. So we have to turn the technology. We have to get into more advanced technology that help compliance, help the cost base and help the carbon footprint. I think people will look at the environmental impact of how you make medicines and they will make judgments on what medicines to buy based on that carbon footprint. And then the last thing is data. I'm old enough to remember when making the product was important and you made the product but you needed the paperwork to get it to the patient. Let me tell you now, data is the future. 
having clear data strategies, harnessing that data into driving efficiency in your decision making, solving deep rooted problems and creating opportunities will be a big thing. This eight year cycle to create a drug and get it to a patient is just too long. So data and data modelling in the whole process development research area is going to be absolutely essential. The companies that can break that eight-year cycle and do it in half that time will be the ones that will survive and be very successful in the future. We hope you've enjoyed this episode in our Global Scott podcast series. If you'd like to find out more about the Global Scott Network, you can visit us at www.globalscott.com.